reminds you of our pastor, right? <clears throat> so before we, let's um, kind of review a little bit of what Rhonda said last, um, spoke about last week. She said, do these turn on? I just don't know how. Um, <laughs> um, last week, Rhonda spoke about judgment. <clears throat> that was really hard to hear. It was for me anyways. Um, thank you. I'm blind as a bat. Okay. Yay. <laughs> so anyways, um, <laughs> and I, um, Paul explains that both Jews and Gentiles need the gospel. Everyone needs salvation. Although some Jews claimed to have an advantage in salvation, Paul explains that Jews are not exempt from sin and judgment. We are all saved in the same way. So how do people become right with God? Paul will explain that in this chapter. But first he has to answer some objectives, objections from the Jews. In this letter, Paul is vision, visual, visualizing, I knew I was going to get this one. Um, speaking to the Jews in Rome. Paul had preached in many, many cities, and he already knew how the Jewish people would respond to his message. The, Jew, the Jewish people often respond by saying, we are God's chosen people. We must have some sort of advantage in the judgment. The Jews had assumed that because they were circumcised and the descendant of Abraham, that they had an advantage with God. But Paul had declared back in Romans 2.29 that true descendants in is one whose heart has been circumcised by the Spirit of God. Circumcision for, was first mentioned in Genesis 17. God told Abraham <clears throat> that he would give all of the land of Canaan and then and then he told Abraham to circumcise his household, his, his slaves, and himself as an everlasting covenant of the flesh. Circumcision is of value if you obey the law. This was a promise between God and Abraham. But if you broke the law, your circumcision becomes non-uncircumcised. Circumcision of the heart by the Spirit of God refers to having a pure heart. Paul focuses on the condition of the heart. <clears throat> Using circumstances as a metaphor, he said that only the Holy Spirit can purify the heart and set it apart for God. Ultimately, circumcision of the flesh cannot make a person right with God. The law is not enough. A person's heart must change. Paul calls this circumcision, circumcision of the heart. Pray with me. Father God, I just want to thank you, first of all, for the beautiful rain, not so much with the lightning and thunder, but I thank you for all of that, Father God. Oh, it just feels refreshed and renewed, and I thank you for all the ladies who are here. Thank you, Father God. Now calm my nerves a little bit, Father God, and um, just be with me as I um, speak your words, Father God. I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Okay. <clears throat> Romans. 3, 1, 4. 
What advantage then is there in being a Jew? Now he's visualizing this while he's writing this letter. Okay, what advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been um, entrusted with the very word of God. Some of your Bibles may say the oracle of God, which means the Old Testament. Same thing. What if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every human being a liar, as it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. The Jews were given a great responsibility. They were entrusted with taking God's word spoken to them through Moses to preserve it, to live it, and to share it. From them, the whole world would have received God's um, invitation to receive grace. Because God had given them his revelation of Jesus to come, this would have blessed both the Jews and the Gentiles. But the Jews focused more on their privileges than on their responsibilities. They were making their rituals more important than God's word. Yes, God had given the Jews a great advantage, but Paul explains that God's covenant does not exempt them, anyone from judgment. The Jews chose to live under the law, all 611 of them. The law revealed requirements that people could not meet. Have you ever read the law books in the Bible? (laughs) Keep in mind that they hadn't kept any of the laws that they were boasting about. In verse 3, Paul asks, what if some did not believe God? Will that nullify the promise of God? Does our lack of uh, faith cancel God's faithfulness? In other words, does the failure of the Jewish people to keep their end of the bargain stop God from accomplishing his plan to save the world through Jesus Christ? Absolutely not. God keeps his promises. (laughs) Okay. Our faith is a response to his faithfulness, but our lack of faith doesn't change his faithfulness in us. Instead, it magnifies it. God's faithfulness is not dependent on our faithlessness, um, but rather it depends on his character. Okay. This is what Paul meant in verse 4. So that you may be proven right when you speak and prevail when you judge. Paul uses Psalms 51.4 to illustrate. Against you and you alone, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Faith is everything. Even though the Jews did not believe and did not have faith, God still sent Jesus. Amen, right? Romans 3, 5, 6. But if, your, but if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? 
that God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? Certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Now, here's a good question. So if our sin promotes and amplifies his holiness, why are we still being judged for our sin? Is God unjust in bringing his wrath on us? The very thought of our sin could benefit God and help to promote his character is only thinking of ourselves. Paul is arguing that this is human thinking. This is not in no way wisdom of God. Our faithfulness magnifies the mercy of God in that he doesn't take us out or shoot us with a lightning bolt (laughs) every time we sin. Um, Like that old saying, I brought you into this world and I could take you out. (laughs) I had to put that in. I tell Rylan that all the time. Not really. (laughs) God is merciful that he doesn't do that. Anyways. Instead of looking for excuses like, why is God judging me? Let's look to Jesus, who promises to always be merciful and always be with us. In Romans 7, 8, 3, 7, 8, someone might argue, if my falsehood en- enhances God's truthfulness and, in- and so increase his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as some slanderous claim, that we say, let us do evil that that good might result. Um, their condemnation is just. <clears throat> That's like saying, if fires and disasters give rescue workers the, an opportunity to show off their skills and their bravery, why not set more fires and cause more disasters so that they will have a greater opportunity to show off their courage. On the one hand, Paul is arguing that although our sin does does glorify God's mercy, he is also pointing out that his this argument is full of holes. This is far from glorifying God. Sin grieves God. God uh, sin separates the creator from the creation, and in no way do the riches of God's glory excuse us from judgment. We also have a promise from Jesus saying, if you hold on to my teachings, you will really be my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is just an, um, this is, it's just an example to, sorry, excuse me. (laughs) It's that simple to leave a life of slavery from sin. Romans 3, 9. What shall we conclude then? Do we have an advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. So which is it? Did the Jews have an advantage over the Gentiles? The answer is no, not at all. For we have uh, already made the charge that the Jews have no advantage here because we are all sinners and slaves to sin. Sin is like a master who had complete control over his slave. Everybody, both Jews and Gentiles, um, is like a slave because of the power of sin. God does not play favorites. My glasses are fogging up. (laughs) Sorry, guys. Um, 
Romans 3, 10, 18. As it is written, there is no righteousness, righteous, not even one. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. God bless you. God bless you. <laughs> no one who understands. There is, there is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. With um, There is no one who does good. Not even one. Their throats are um, open tombs and their tongues are, uh, sorry, their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of ass is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitter, bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their way and the way of peace have not known. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Paul uses verses from the Old Testament. These verses show how wicked people can be. Paul wanted to emphasize that sin controls everybody. So we repent. So he repent. Oh, sorry, excuse me. So he repeated the word all. He also uses the phrase nobody. He even not even one person more than once. In Ecclesiastes 7.20, for there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. Psalms 14, 1 through 3, the fool has set in his heart, has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does work, good work, there is not one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good, not one, not one. These verses explain the nature of sin. <clears throat> sin is the result of action against God. Nobody tries to discover that God is li- what God is like. Nobody cares about what God wants. Everyone has turned away from the way, from the right way to live, and that is why people sin. Sometimes in my sin, sometimes in my sin, I could see, I could just picture God's face with tears in His eyes, saying, "You know." saying, I love you so much, why do you sin against me? And this can bring me to my knees sometimes. Sometimes I just need visuals to get me straight back in track. And every once in a while when I'm like, oh, feel like I've really done, um, separated myself from God, I even watch the passion of the Christ. I don't know about you guys, but... Every time I see that actor being whipped, I think that is my sin. That This is Jesus, Jesus took my sin upon himself with every whip that he took, you know. And like I said, guys, I just sometimes need visuals to get myself back in track and stuff. Cause, uh, anyways, <laughs> verse 13 and 14, Paul is describing the sin 
of speech. In other words, these verses show how people sin by their words. Such sins are the results when people use the throat, the mouth, and the lips in the wrong way. In Psalms 5.9, For there is no, no faithfulness in their mouth, their inward part is destructive, their throats is an open tomb, and they flatter with their tongues. Psalms 10.7, His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is trouble and iniquity. Psalms 143, 143. They sharpen their tongues like a serpent, and poison of asp is under their lips. Selah. Their words are like poison that can destroy other people's happiness and their character. In this letter, in his letter, James compares the tongue with something poisonous. James 3, 8, but no one can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. James 3.10, from the same mouth came blessing and cursing. My brother, these things ought not to be. In verses 17 through 18, evil actions are often the result of evil words. In Isaiah 59.7, it says, their feet rush to sin. They are swift to shed innocent blood. They persecute evil scheme. They pursue evil schemes. Act of violence marks their ways. The way of peace they do not know. There is no just in their path. They have turned. They have turned them into crooked roads. No one who walks along them will know peace. Isaiah emphasizes how people are quick to attack and to hurt others. They are even ready to kill. They do not try to live in peace. They cause trouble and pain wherever they go. Injury may hurt one a person, but such behavior soon damages the rest of society too. Isn't that what is going on in the world? On Facebook and all the social medias everybody's talking about. You know, everybody's just ready to hate. There's just a lot of haters out there. Anyways, lady, I just want to stop and talk right now. You know, it's really important for us to talk to one another. I mean, look around this room. What beautiful ladies you are. And we're all sisters in Christ, and we all love each other a lot. I don't know about you, but I do. (laughs) And we're equally daughters of the one true king. Equally. Nobody is more important than anybody here. And... So, you know, don't be put, first of all, don't put people above you. It's like, oh, she knows more, you know, and stuff like that. No, God's working on all of us. And that's what's important, you know. Maybe we don't speak um, all the time in kind words and stuff like that because we're thinking on the top of our heads instead of going to the Holy Spirit. When we counsel somebody, we should always go to the Holy Spirit and ask him, what would you like me to say to this sister in Christ? You know, or... If the sister in Christ needs to be correction, you go get on your knees before you even speak to this person. Ask the Holy Spirit, what would you like me to say to this person before we just speak? You never want to be in a position where you say, oh, I shouldn't have said that. 
that was a little bit too cruel. Oh, you know, and I've been there, I know, you know, and, and stuff like that. So, and you don't want to have strife with this, with um, your sister, you know, because like I said, we're both equals in, the, in God's kingdom, and we're all going to get there together one way or another. And we're going to spend eternity with each other. So we might as well love one another here and get to know them. Okay. That was my soap opera box, and I'm off again. <laughs> okay. So anyways, getting back on Romans um, 3.18. People repeat, um, Paul repeats his thoughts from verse 11. All sin is against God. Psalms 36.1 speaks about a man who has no fear of God. All sin comes from people's lack of honor and love for God who created them. Romans 19 through 22. When we know, now we know that whenever the law says, it it says to those who are under the law that every month, every mouth may be stopped. And all the world <clears throat> may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deed of the law, no flesh will be judged in his sight. For by the law is the known knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and all who believe, for there is no difference. Foggy glasses again. Sorry. (laughs) Must be these tears. Sorry. Okay. Some Jews would have, oh, some Jews would think that these verses were only about the wicked Jews. But Jews did not have the law. God never gave the law with the expectation that everyone would keep it. He knew the outcome from the beginning because he recognized what we ourselves refused to see. Jews and Gentiles are like a loss to sin. Paul explains that the law cannot make people righteous. That was not its purpose. The purpose of the law was to show the meaning of sin to people to show God's standard of the law. and um, The law proved that everyone is guilty. So the Jews could not become righteous by means of their Jewish ceremonies. They had, a, and they had many of them. For example, the circumcision, the Sabbath, and the food laws. Uh, no one can become righteous by means of their own works. Everyone has sin, and sin controls everyone's life. I know... This is heavy, but we're going to get to some good stuff in a little bit. The law was never given to save lives. It was given to show how much we needed a Savior because we couldn't do it on our own. The law and the prophets are the, the law and the prophets are the main parts of the the Jewish Old Testament. People wrote down the Old Testament centuries before Jesus was born. The Holy Spirit guided them. The Holy Spirit showed the prophets about Jesus and his sacrifice for us. Read read Psalms 22 and Isaiah 53 when you get a chance. uh, Jesus' death, death 
is the only way for people to be saved. This was God's plan all along. And everyone who received Jesus into, into their lives received God's free gift of righteousness. Salvation is a gift from, that glorifies the giver. Our focus of salvation could, should be on Jesus and not on us. There's nothing that we can do. Jesus taught that righteousness is even more important than the food and drink. In Matthew 6, 31, 33, he writes, um, Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, and what shall we drink, and what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need, what you need, that you need these things, but first... But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So God only promises to feed us, to clothe us, you know, and he knows all of our needs. And um, every morning when I pray, I always pray for my daily bread. And our daily bread is God gives us food to eat and clothing and a place to live, and everything else is him blessing us for all that extra stuff that he already knew that we you know needed or wanted sin is the greatest problem that people have because of sin people have lost their right to enter into heaven that's scary to me <laughs> sin is the reason why people suffer in the world sin controls the lives of everyone but god's standards are perfect <clears throat> the wonderful news is that god himself is willing to free us from the power of sin. People have worked so hard to become righteous, and they've all failed. But God offers righteousness as a free gift. Nobody deserves his righteousness. The only thing we deserve is hell. Really, we do. But Jesus died in order to suffer our punishment for sin. We simply need to trust him. They should. We should confess our sins to God and... They, and then we should invite him into our lives. Then God will forgive us and he will make, a, make us righteous. He offers this to everyone. Romans 25 through 26, whom God sent forth as propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because of his forbearance, God has passed over the sin that were previously committed. <clears throat> to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and a justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Finally, good news. Paul uses three descriptions to explain what God has done by means of Jesus, his blood, our faith, and his righteousness. Jesus paid the price to set us free from sin. He did this at the cost of his life. In other words, he died so that we can be free from sin. That's his blood. Number two, God is, God is the just of the world. All people guilty in front of him. Um, but Jesus showed how much God loves us. He forgives those who have trust in Jesus by faith. We have been set free because of our faith in Christ. That's faith. And three, um, God provides the perfect sacrifice for our sin. 
we no longer have to offer the animal sacrifices. He gave himself by means of Jesus to make people righteous. And that's righteous. Okay, almost there. <clears throat> Romans 3, 20, uh, 3, 27, 30. Where is boasting then? Is it, it is excluded by the, what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deed of law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify this circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. Nobody can boast. No one deserves to be righteous. Nobody earns peace with God by means of their own action. A person becomes righteous only when he accepts God's gift by means of Jesus. Paul said that he would be proud of only one thing, that Jesus died on the cross for him. Faith is the same for everyone. There is only one God. Jews said this every day in the words in Deuteronomy 6.4. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God the one and only. The Lord is one. Gentiles do not have a separate God. Um, <clears throat> Sandy? In Romans 31, do we then have void, oh, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. We establish the law. Why? So why did God give the law to the Jewish people? The meaning of the law is how God wants people to live. He wants people to show love and kindness. He wants people to be fair. He wants people to have a humble attitude and respect him. The rules in the Old Testament exist in order to teach people about this. But these rules are less important than the law itself. Faith does not make the law weaker Faith makes it possible for people to love God with their whole heart. Faith teaches people to live as God wants them to live. So faith makes the law stronger. I'm going to take a little drink here. Okay. The gift that's being passed around is a visual. It's a free, living gift. Yes, it's a bulb, but it's alive. Um, If you plant it, water it, give it good soil to live in, nurture it, and protect it from evil, from evil. (laughs) Like the ground squirrels, the moles. We all know about the gophers. Okay, that they're so evil. It will take root and grow and become a beautiful flower. But if you take this free gift and put it on the shelf, or worse, throw it in the junk drawer, it will, (laughs) it will wither and die. God's word is a free gift, 
and it's living inside of all of us. So how do we nurture God's word? <laughs> so how do we nurture God so that um, it will take root in our heart? By reading your Bibles, praying, staying in communication with him, um, listening to him. You know, communication is a two-way street. It's not like um, we tell we tell God what we want and then run off. We need to stop, be quiet, and be still, and listen for that small, small voice. And you know, being plugged in, staying in, um, coming to women's Bible study, fellowshipping. Don't you guys like fellowshipping in the morning? Love it, right? And you know, just staying plugged in. There's many things that we can do. Like I told you, we went to a women's retreat down at the packing house. It was free. It was. Wonderful. I was so blessed by it. You know, my book and everything like that. But anyways, just staying plugged in, ladies. That's how it's going to do. Now. (laughs) Right? Time. Well, there's only one. Some people got two, but it's only because they were so tiny. Well, yeah, we're supposed to plant them in the fall. The small ones, I believe, are um, tulips. The bigger bulbs, I believe, are daffodils. They'll come up first. They'll come up. Okay. So anyways, and they're, they're beautiful. If you've never forced bulbs before, I've forced daffodils, and I love forcing them. So by Christmas time, you have a bunch of... How do you do that? Put them in the fridge, right? Well, what I do... <laughs> What I do is um, I put rocks in the bottom of the thing, and then you put your um, bulb in there, and then you fill up the water, but barely touching the root of it. Don't let it touch the bulb at all. And then put it in the dark. And then you leave it there for like about three to four weeks. And then when you go look at it, it'll start sprouting, and then they'll sprout out. And then you bring them out and put them in the sun, and they, they sprout. You can um, Google forcing bulbs. It's, it's beautiful. I love it. They're called forcing bulbs. Yeah, I had I did these other ones last year. I didn't I did daffodils and I did these other ones last year. The fragrant was so overpowering. I had to put them outside because I can't handle, you know, real strong odors. But anyways, those are a lot of fun. <clears throat> so anyways, um that's it for my lesson, ladies. Yes. When after 3 or 4 weeks, when you see the green leaves popping out, cuz you got to keep them in the dark cuz they got to act like they're Dormant. Dorm? Like you bury them. You You know how you bury the bulbs and then, so you have to teach them how to, um, not teach them, but put them in darkness for about three or four weeks. Then check them and then you'll see like little green round leaves coming out. Check the water. You can fill it up full of water, but don't let it touch the bulb, just the roots. Okay? So anyways, let's just close. Hey! Oh, I have a... (laughs) A song, but before the song plays, um, let me just close in prayers. Thank you, God, for um, having these ladies here. I thank you that they listened to me. They were quiet and they listened to your word, Father God. And I just thank you for getting me through this and um, give me the encourage to step out in faith, Father God. I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name. <clears throat>